Amen. And so this morning, we're going to look at two passages. We're going to finish out chapter 7, and it's always difficult trying to figure out whether I'm going to do one section or I'm going to do two. In Mark, we've been doing every standalone section, and I normally don't group them together. But I decided to this morning because of the similarities and because of how it sets up chapter 8. And so Jonathan assured me that since he went short last week, I could have his extra minutes this week. So we're good. So we're going to deal with two accounts. And in each of those accounts, you're going to see an affliction, you're going to see an interaction, and then you're going to see a resolution. And then we're going to have application for each of those. So we're going to see an affliction, an interaction, a resolution, and then application for each. And so both of these accounts are dealing with impossible ailments. One, a woman whose daughter is afflicted, who is possessed by an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. So we're dealing with the spiritual realm. And then the second one is a man who is deaf, whose ears don't work. He's also got a speech impediment. He has a hard time speaking clearly. And so now we're dealing with the physical realm. And so both have intercessors who are begging Jesus for help. But both have Jesus' desire for secrecy and to remain hidden where he is. And both are going to raise many questions uh, that we're going to try to answer, and some we're just going to shrug our shoulders and say, we don't know. Um, But there's a lot to apply to our lives as well in these. So where we are in the book of Mark is Jesus is finishing up his Galilean ministry. And so he spent time, his home base in Capernaum, went to his hometown in Nazareth, and it has not gone well the last couple chapters. He was rejected in Nazareth. He was face-to-face with the the Pharisees in in chapter 7. Now he's on Herod's radar. And uh, he's compared to John the Baptist, who Herod just killed. And so now Jesus is moving beyond Judea. And so he's going to go outside of the realm of the the Jews. And each of you received the map when you came in. This is helpful because this is going to show Jesus' travels over the next three chapters. Uh, So keep that in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, bring your Bible. Keep it in your Bible, and you'll need it the next few weeks. So just helpful to give you that, that visual. So he's going to go beyond the realm of the Jews, which he has been in up to this time. What's interesting, though, is that Mark has been very intentional 15 times so far to mention that Jesus is preaching or teaching. No mention here. So he's doing something different. He's not preaching or teaching. It's not like the ministry that he's had in in Galilee. What we're going to see is that the kingdom is hidden to the Gentiles. This is a predominantly Gentile region. But there is yet hope. And I don't think it's inconsequential that it's coming right off the heels of what we looked at last week in verse 19, that he declares all foods clean. This is Mark speaking through Peter's eyes. Peter in Acts 10 says, not just all foods, but God has declared all peoples clean. And so we're getting seeds of the kingdom of God going outside of Israel. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 24 and read all the way to the end through verse 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him, to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
But she answers, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go away. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. What an awesome and holy God we have. That even away from your people, even in forgotten regions, even hidden, the kingdom of God is so powerful that demons are cast out and the deaf can hear. We don't serve a God who is lofty in some far-gone space who knows nothing of the afflictions of the people on earth. We serve a God who loved people so much that He took on flesh to walk among them and heal them and restore them. We serve a God who didn't find it good enough to just go to Israel, but it was better that the light would go out to the Gentiles, it would go out to the nations, and that we sit here this morning as fruits of that. We praise You, God. We praise You for Your work in us. We praise You for what You teach us in Your Word. We ask You to give us ears to hear, hearts that would receive it. We would not just be hearers, but doers also. That Your Spirit would teach us, convict us, guide us. And that we would walk in a way that is pleasing to You. And You be glorified in everything we say and do this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's going to be a map up on the screen, a little more detailed than the one I gave you. Forgive the color, it's from a very old book, but it, with the arrows, I thought it was the most simple and the most helpful. This may not be easy to see for you in the back, uh, but I want you to get the idea. The map you're looking at in your hands, and this map on the screen, we're, we're dealing with ancient Palestine. You know, so to the west, you've got the Mediterranean Sea. To the east, beyond the Jordan, you've got the mountains and you've got the desert. So these are the highly populated areas. So Galilee... Uh, you've got the, the, the Sea of Galilee there at the bottom. So Galilee is the uh, Jewish area. You see Nazareth down there to the corner. Um, I'll include this in the email if you can't see it. Um, hopefully your Bible has a decent map. Um, and then everything beyond the Jordan, so west of the Jordan, that was the, the Decapolis. The ten cities uh, that were Greek cities, pagan cities. And so Jesus spends most of his time in Galilee, but if you look at that red line... He goes way out of his way. This is at least 30 miles up from Capernaum where Jesus' home base is to Tyre. 
and then another 20 miles up the side. And he goes way out of his way to uh, go out of the Jewish region. And so this doesn't, maybe it's just a long trip to us, but there's something more significant here. Jewish rabbis did not do that. You do not go to these pagan regions, and, and these are not just ordinary Greeks. These are outright pagans and heathens. If you read the, 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 Old, the Old Testament, this is modern-day Syria and Lebanon. There's not a lot of flattering words to say about Syria or Lebanon. They are the, the, the enemies of the people of God. And yet Jesus goes away, and we don't, we don't really know why, but we can presume because of what's happened in chapter 6 and chapter 7. He was rejected in his hometown, and now he's going to get away. And, you know, as we would, we'd go in some Airbnb out in the middle of nowhere. That's kind of what he's hoping to do, to get away with his disciples, to get some rest after the uh, opposition he's faced, but also to prepare to make his way to Jerusalem. And um, his presence there is a statement as a rabbi. And he wanted to stay in secrecy, but yet it didn't work out. Now, rabbis in those days were very stuck up. They did not mingle with the common people as we've, as we've seen. They would affectionately, all uh, sarcasm intended, call the other nations dogs. And so we're going to get to the dogs in this story in just a moment. But this is Jesus getting away, and he's, he's trying to remain hidden. He, from there he arose, and he went away in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know. Now remember, there's secrecy in both of these. Yet he could not be hidden. Because, verse 25, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. Just on a rumor, and comes and falls down at his feet. So, in verse 25 and verse 26, this is very descriptive, as is our next section. I want you to look at these details. She's got a lot of strikes against her to go up to a Jewish rabbi, if there's not something different about him. One, she's a woman. And we know that rabbis did not interact with women in, in the public. Uh, certainly, you would not speak to someone in public who was not your wife. So there would be a distance there. And she has a daughter who has an unclean spirit. And she's a Gentile. But worse, this is literally she's a Greek, meaning she worships other gods. Syrophoenician. These were the, the, the chief among the pagans. So this is this... The, the, the coastal region that goes from the top of Galilee way up into, in, into Syria. So this is, uh, there are different Phoenician territories. This is Syro-Phoenicia. So Syria and Phoenicia. And this is where she's from. This is her, her, her nationality. And any self-respecting rabbi would have walked right around her. They would have probably seen her like they would have seen a dog in the street begging for scraps. And she falls down before him. Now, this is where we need to bring in the parallel passage. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 15. I already asked you if you had your Bibles. You should have your Bibles. Go to Matthew 15. And so this is helpful because Matthew and Mark give complementary details. And I want you to see what Matthew adds here because it's, it's really helpful bringing this together. So Matthew 15, I want to read the entire account. We're going to reference back and forth so you can keep your finger here. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, 
But wait a second. Matthew gives something different than Mark gives. The Bible's got a contradiction, right? But what should Canaanite bring to mind? If you're, now, we've talked about this a little bit, but a good reminder. Mark is written to a Roman uh, Gentile audience. The, Matthew is written to Jews. When Jews hear Canaanite, what do you hear? The wicked people who are in the land that God was giving to them. Now, the, the, the Canaanites were many nations. Phoenicians, one of them. So Matthew is drawing attention to this is a wicked people that were to be dispossessed, to be put out of the land, and this woman is the one who's coming up to him. A woman from that region came out and was crying, but listen to her insight. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She is not without understanding. There's a lot of wisdom in this woman right away. Son of David, she understands. Matthew uses this detail because the The purpose of Matthew's gospel is to show that Jesus is the son of David, the true king of Israel. She recognizes she is in front of the king. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. In Matthew's account, the begging comes from the disciples, and the disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. Jesus, she's embarrassing us. Uh, We don't don't want to draw attention to ourselves, right? We came here to get away Remove her from us. This is how he sends her away. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is a big key to this passage. We're going to draw this out more. And she came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it, done for you, uh, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed inst- instantly. There's a lot of great details there, and again, we're going we're gonna to go back. But we see this, this woman who's, who's desperate, and of course she would be. We've seen from what demon possession looks like in the other Gospels that demons will take over someone's body and they will convulse and throw themselves into fire and they, were, they, will, they, they will curse and they will spit and they will moan and they will roll around on the ground. Imagine your little daughter doing this. This woman is heartbroken. She is so desperate. She hears that the son of David, could this be the Jewish Messiah? She falls down on her face before him and she begs him. This is a continual, persistent beg, and it shows her great faith and her great desperation. Now, Mark just picks up on the dialogue. He doesn't pick up on the disciples, so we won't spend too much time in that. But we get Jesus' response. First, from Matthew, he says, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is going to help us to interpret this, because a lot of you came to me this week and was like, well, what's going on with the dogs and the children, and uh, what does all this mean? So, if you're reading this for the first time, it kind of reads like British drama. Like, I love, like, Sheree and I love watching British crime dramas, but a lot of times you need a lot of context for what you say. It almost sounds, if you're reading this for the first time, it almost sounds like Guy Ritchie wrote this. Um, and, and, and so there's this, okay, what's going on? What are they, what are they talking about? What's this, this, this slang that they're, they're dealing with? So Jesus uses parabolic language. He, he speaks as a parable. And 
We're going to have to break down these words and what they mean because there's, there's a lot in here. So he kind of speaks in a parabolic code and we must decipher it. And so I try to be careful about not using Greek too much. Um, one, I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to use a distraction, but here, be, use it as a distraction, but here it's really helpful. So we're going to look at a couple of word studies. We're going to look at the, the types of phrasing that are used in the original Greek. And if you have any questions on it, you can ask Jonathan. Uh, go during dinner time. You don't even have to call ahead. He'd love to talk to you about Jonathan. <laughs> If you were here last week, uh, if not, listen to, the, listen to Jonathan's sermon. It's because we love each other. So, here's what he says. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. Okay, what is the children in this parable? If you look back to Matthew, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's the house of Israel. It is Abraham's physical seed. Abraham's offspring, those who would call out Father Abraham. Um, I want to give you other context. If, you ever, if you're in Matthew already, go to chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. If not, I'm going to go through these kind of quick, but it'll be up on the screen. So this, uh, Matthew's a little bit longer. He includes a, a little bit more detail. So earlier when he sent the disciples out, we looked at this a few chapters ago in Mark. Look at what he says. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. It's a clear line in the sand here. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There is something about this time in Jesus' ministry that is only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is... Jesus' ministry, he came as the Jewish Messiah, as the fulfillment of all the Jewish scriptures, of all the promises to those Jews. And Paul gets into this in Romans and tells us that all of the promises and the covenants and the patriarchs, they are all the Jews. And the gospel that we know and that we love is to the Jew first and also also the Gentile. If you're going to memorize a verse about the gospel, it comes from Romans, the book of the gospel, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. So in God's plan of redemption, we are at the stage of Jew first. We'll get to the Greek later. Jesus is in Greek land. He hasn't gone to preach or teach. This is not what the Father has called him to do. But by way of just his, his very presence, he's, he's drawing attention. So the first thing I want you to notice here in the Greek that is helpful, and he says here, let the children be fed. The word he used here is technon, a Greek word that means progeny or offspring, meaning this is a physical offspring. Let the children be fed first, speaking of those in Israel. And this word for be fed, this means to be fed, to eat until you're full, till you are fattened, or till you are satisfied. Want to know the only other two places where that word is used? The feeding of the 5,000 a couple weeks ago and the feeding of the 4,000 next week. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? The Israelites ate and were full and there were 12 baskets left over. Looking forward to a new Israel that will be the perfect 12 tribes and enough to fill 12 baskets. Same word being used here, so we'll, we'll do more on this next week. 
Now to the part that makes people squirm a little bit. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs. Who are the dogs in this parable? The Gentiles. He's picking up on the language of the Pharisees, but he's also picking up on the language of the Bible. If you do a search in the Scriptures, there is not one positive reference of dogs in the Bible. This idea of cute little things running around the house is very Western. Sorry, dog people. You can write your hate mail to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said it, not me. Why? They are unclean in the Old Testament. These are carrion animals, meaning just like vultures, they eat dead things. They eat unclean things. They, they, they lick up blood. And Jesus is calling this woman by way of parable a dog. No matter how nice you are, no matter how well you say it, no matter how cute the dog is, you call the woman a dog, it will not go well. But this woman is so desperate and so humble that she keeps her composure so wisely. So what's Jesus doing here? Is he insulting her just to insult her? Or is he saying something so inflammatory and so outrageous to test her, to get her attention? Because as a Gentile, at this point, she has no claim to the promises of God. She can't presume that that the son of David would be merciful on her. She has no covenant with God. She has no promise from Abraham that, that, that she by faith will be justified. But yet she falls down before him. There's one more detail that's important here. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is a parable about redemption. And the bread of life came for the house of Israel first. God has been providing for Israel since He called Abraham out of paganism. But the dogs are only to eat after the children. And this happens in many homes. The dogs will come up to the table. This is probably not what was happening there. You would not have an unclean animal. Sorry, there were no dog owners in that time. You would not have an unclean animal just like you would not have uh, a pig. So one of those many instances where dog is not positive, I'll just give you one. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. These are unclean animals that the Jews would have no parts of. In reality, probably what would happen at, at a meal is the family would eat, the kids would eat, you have no refrigeration, you take your leftovers and you throw them into the street. And the wild dogs that would be running around in the square would come and eat up all the scraps to be tossed away and and discarded. This is the reality of of, of their day. Now, the Jews were not a powerful nation. They didn't have any way to lord this over the other other nations. The Greeks thought they were nothing. But within their own little circle, they would not have brought dogs into the table. But this woman, I love her response here. Look at verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Not how dare you call me a dog. Not how dare you speak to me that way. Not I deserve more. Yes, Lord. When Jesus challenges you, that is the only faithful response. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
Now, there may be a dog under a table in a Greek home. The word she uses here for children, pideon, technon is for offspring. Pideon is for immaturity, a child in the sense of immaturity, also used for slaves, someone without education, someone without understanding. There is so much wisdom in the way she responds. Doesn't use the same word he does. He is referring to the Jews. She places herself in the place of an, of, of an ignorant, ignorant child, a servant. And then Matthew gives us a very important detail. Look again in Matthew, verse 27. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from what? Their master's table. She recognizes not only is it the master's table, but the master of even the dogs. She here herself is placing herself at the, the, the bottom of the master's table, her master's table. She is submitting to him as Lord. My master, yes, I'll be a dog at your table. That's all she's asking for is crumbs. She's not asking for a seat at the table. She wouldn't dare be as arrogant and presumptuous as the Pharisees. She just asked for crumbs. Because she knows how good the crumbs of the master's table are. Do we? And Jesus' response, there is so much respect in the way that he responds to her. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. Jesus recognizes not only her humility, but also her wisdom. Because she knows her spiritual bankruptcy. She knows she has no claim for mercy. The disciples failed to understand. Two weeks ago, we saw the Pharisees fail to understand. This humble little Greek woman understands more than all the learned men of Israel. For this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. But not just the statement. What is more important, Matthew 15 again. O woman, verse 28, great is your faith. Be it done for as you desire. The Pharisees, who are the children at the table, air quotes intended, don't understand the crumbs from the master's table. This woman of great faith is healed because of her faith. This brings to mind Romans, Romans 10, where Paul says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is such great faith that is coming up out of her heart. Last week we were dealing with the heart issue. It's not what goes in that defiles you, it's what's come out of you. This woman shows her faith by what comes out of her mouth. The humility in responding to Jesus. And this beautiful resolution. And she went home and found her child lying in bed and the demon gone. This in the perfect tense meaning the demon is gone and will be gone forever. He's not coming back. 
She went home and she got the crumbs she was asking for, but she got so much more. And this is a small glimpse of the uncleanness that would be removed from the Gentiles. This is a small glimpse of through faith the restoration that will happen for people who have no inheritance among the people of God. Now, let's apply this passage. There's a few things I want to look at. There are many we could, we could go, and I'm going to look at four. Yeah, I'm going to look at four. Number one, the elephant or the dog in the room, if you are offended or upset that Jesus would use strong and, intensive and uh, insensitive language, keep reading the Bible. The Bible does. Why? Because we need to get the depravity of our condition. We need to understand how far from God we are. Just like the Jews, we can so easily presume upon our own righteousness. We can presume to say, I deserve a seat at the table. No, you don't even deserve the scraps from the table. Jesus says this strongly. This is not greeting card Jesus meek and mild. He must say this because they must understand what is at stake here. The Bible does not speak kindly about pagans. The Bible does not speak kindly about sin. If this offends you, look back to the Old Testament. God is a holy God. There is no God like Him. He calls Abraham out of paganism. He tells us in Deuteronomy 7, I didn't choose you because you were a great and powerful nation. I didn't even choose you because you were good. You were small and weak and worthless on the earth. But I chose you because of my love and because I'm good. Because I will glorify myself in this little unassuming nation more than I could be glorified by any big and powerful empire. I'm doing this for my glory because I set my love on you. But those invited to the table became arrogant and became prideful, trusting in their own righteousness. They became ungrateful children. So we must be careful not to presume that God owes us anything. We must be very careful that at the master's table, we are first and foremost dogs. We don't even deserve the scraps. Our best hope is the crumbs. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gentiles are content with just getting crumbs. But in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, we get invited to the feast. And we are given all of the benefits that the inheritance of the sons of Abraham through faith receive. All of the countless spiritual blessings. And so you don't know how good you have it until you know how bad you are. That is why Jesus uses strong language. And if you are ashamed of it, you are ashamed of the gospel. Because right after Paul finishes Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he spends an entire three chapters telling people how wicked they are and how they have no hope on their own. They are spiritual dogs. Yet there is good news. More to come. Two, trust me, we're going to spend a lot less time on the second part of this. Faith requires humility and understanding together. This woman is such a great example of faith. The way she approaches Jesus is the way we should approach him. She approaches him as a dog, putting her face in the dirt, but he treats her as a child. This is the beauty of the gospel. 
that dogs become children. This is true Israel. This is spiritual Israel. She recognizes the primacy of Israel. Yes, Lord, I know that the children need to eat first. I'm content with the crumbs. This is what faith looks like. This should bring us a lot of joy and contentment. Think, man, that I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be the smartest one in the room. I just need to fall before Jesus and cry out for him. And the master feeds me from his table. And we should approach Jesus this way. I also want to encourage you, in the same vein, number three, how powerful a simple faith is. This is the model for intercession. This woman's daughter is afflicted. And she humbly brings herself before the Savior. She falls down before Him, knowing that Jesus is powerful, He is merciful, and He is able. And that is her only hope. And this is what the Lord does in us, right? So often he has to bring us to our place of desperation where we have no other hope. Where there is no other answer, no place else we can go. I'm undone. You think she's been to the sorcerers and the fake healers in the Greek culture? Of course she has. But she falls down before him, begging, pleading for her daughter. This is how we intercede for those we love. This is how we pray. Number four, here's where it might hit a little close to home. Talking to the Christians on this one. The other side of this is false humility. Many of you believe, but have a hard time believing you have a seat at the table. You think too highly of God and, excuse me, too highly of your sin and too low of God. I've heard many of you struggle, say, well, I'm not good enough, or I couldn't do this, or I sinned last week. You place your sin above God. If Jesus says, you are mine, you are my child, I sent my spirit of adoption to bring you into my home, I go to prepare a room before you, trust Him. That false humility is nothing but pride. It says that my sin is greater than God. Or on the other side, this might hit a little close to home as well. Many of you Christians are content with crumbs. You are walking around starving from the things of God when you are promised a feast. Jesus has come, eat and fill, be satisfied. Yet you're nibbling like His goodness is going to run out. You treat God's Word like you have to take it sparingly. You treat your time in prayer like you've got to dole it out. If you are in Christ, do not be content with crumbs. Amen. You are invited to the feast. Do not be content with being pedions when you are adopted as technons. Look at our second one rather quickly. There is no parallel to this account, so this is all the details we have. 
And so Jesus' travels are going to take him from Tyre, which is about 30 miles north, another 20 miles north after that. And then when Jesus travels, he, he travels around Galilee on the other side of the Jordan, around the Sea of Galilee to more Greek cities. This is more than 100 miles round trip on foot. Put that in your Fitbit. That's a long way, and it's a long way to get away from the Jews. But even in this, this trip that seems like it's just an escape from the opposition he faced in Galilee, Jesus does some amazing things. The first thing we see here, verse 32, and they brought to him a man who was deaf. They, I don't know, people. A man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him, Jesus, to lay his, Jesus' hands on him, a deaf man. Brought and begged. This is, these are good friends. This is how you love someone. You bring them before Jesus and beg him to heal him. They're imploring him. And again, we get, in the interaction, we get, or excuse me, to the affliction, we get great details. He's got a, he's deaf and he's got a speech impediment. And so, there's not many options for him in that culture. And here's what Jesus does, verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. Again, the desire for secrecy. Jesus is not meant to do a public ministry among the Gentiles. He brings him aside. But, notice how much care he has for this man. He brings him aside. Looks him in the eye. And then he does something that seems very strange. He put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, I kind of want to paint a picture here. Because in the Gentile culture, in the pagan uh, cultures, there were many healers. And they had all kinds of superstitions and ideas about what could and could not heal. What these healers would often use, there was an idea that, that saliva had healing powers. And so it would be used in different topical um, treatments, and it would, it would, it would give a, a clue that the, the healer was about to do something. And typically, the, the healer would have all these incantation, incantations and processes that they would go through. And so Jesus is kind of condescending to their understanding. He's, he's kind of telling them that, okay, or telling him, I'm going to do something now. I'm going to address your ears, and I'm going to address your, your tongue. And they're healing that comes from me, and I'm going to spit on my hand. Here's your fun fact of the day. I thought this was hilarious. Uh, the Greek word for spit is pituo. It is. Someone got real creative with that one. Pituo. Um, so he makes this symbolic gesture for hearing and speaking problems intimately. Now, if you were a healer in those days, you would have these long, drawn-out processes. You would get up, you would get down, you would, you would recite sometimes pages of incantations. Jesus, what he does as a true healer is very specific. He looks up to heaven in size. The weight of this man's brokenness is on him. His power and his authority comes from heaven. He looks to the source of true healing, the Father in heaven. And without a long, drawn-out process, one word commands 
I've tried a hundred times this week. I keep tripping over this word. I, I feel like this word was spoken by the man with a speech impediment. Ephaphtha. Two F's together. Ephaphtha. One word. Be open. Jesus is telling them that I'm a healer. I'm a real healer. I don't need to call on some false gods by my own authority, by my own lips. I just need to command your ears to be open and your tongue to be unbound. And this is the language that is here. His ears were open and his tongue was released. The original here is his tongue was bound. He releases the bonds from his ears. He releases the bonds from his tongue with one word. That's the type of healer I am. And so we don't know if this man had faith. We don't know like the other woman. But we do know, according to Romans 10, if he was to have faith, he would need ears to hear. And he would need a mouth to confess. And Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of what he will do among the Gentiles. Unclog ears so they have ears to hear his voice. Unbound tongues so they can cry that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he does something that we don't understand. This is amazing. Go tell everybody, right? No. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Why? We don't know. But probably because of the timing. The children must eat before the dogs. Israel must have all the chances to listen to the gospel and to reject it. And then the gospel goes to, to the Gentiles. Remember earlier I said, here in the gospels, the, the uh, Gentiles get the crumbs. But in Acts, look at Acts 1.6. This is the purpose, state, the purpose section of Acts. After Jesus is resurrected, before he's ascended, he comes to the disciples, and look what they say. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Look what, their, look what their minds are. Will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Will you bring Israel back to its glory? Will you bring the technons, the, 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 the children of Abraham, back to prominence? They didn't know what they were asking. He is going to restore the nation of Israel. But he's going to do it in a different way, and here's how he's going to do it. It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. Here's what he's going to do for the nation of Israel. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, out to Judea, beyond to Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Their question about Israel is answered right here. This is where we see the kingdom of God fully open up to the Gentiles. And that's the, the story of Acts. So Jesus tells them not to tell, but of course they tell. And so I don't know if they're just so happy they can't contain themselves or if it's like, don't touch your sister and the only thing you can do is touch your sister. Or if I tell you, don't think about carrots, the only thing you're going to do is think about carrots. Maybe that's what it is, just human nature. Uh, we don't know. But I really feel bad for this guy because up to this point, he can't hear, he can't speak, and now he can't tell anybody. Like, I can speak for the first time and, hey, wait, oh, Jesus told me not to. You know, so I, I don't, I feel bad for him. Last verse here. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
they were astonished because he was greater than their, their healers. He was astonished that he was actually able to do something by the power of his spit and one word. If his spit and one word brings healing, imagine what his blood would do. They were astonished because no one had ever done anything like that. He has done all things well. Same word for good. In creation and in new creation, it is all declared good. Everything he touches is restored. Everything he touches is taken from the curse that infects all things and restored to wholeness. And I want you to look at the context. Last thing we're going to see in Matthew. Matthew doesn't tell us about this account, but he tells us what happens. Matthew 15, 29, we're going to pick up in the next section. When Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he went up upon the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered. It's a good word. Wondered. They weren't asking questions. They were astonished. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, and the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Amen. But there's an interesting detail there. They glorified the God of Israel. They did not make him their God. The Gentiles still were not brought in yet. They saw the amazing deeds, but their time had not yet come. The children still had to feed. So how do we apply this? Notice the emphasis on secrecy in both accounts. The amazing nature of the, the, the hidden nature of the kingdom to the Gentiles. God's perfect timing and revelation is not yet for all. But even in a limited way, it shows his power over the spiritual and physical realms. And so we get just the seeds of the kingdom that we now see in full bloom. The next thing I want you to see is how much he cares for each infirmity. He knows exactly what this man is dealing with. He looks him in the eye and he deals with him as a person, uniquely, just like our conversions. Every time the Lord calls someone to himself, it is different. You don't see Jesus heal anyone the same way twice. He knows what they need. He, he deals with the issues of the culture. He deals with their issues. So he does with us. He brings us out of our circumstances, looks us in the eye, and if he needs to, gives us the miraculous wet willy. I thought that I had to use that at some point. How amazing that he deals with people who are just forgotten and cast off by society and loves them. If he needs to stick his fingers in his ear, he will. If he needs to spit in the ground and put something on their, on, on their eyes, he will. And again, like I said earlier, if, if his spit does that, imagine what his blood does. If his perfect, spotless blood is applied to you, what does that mean if just his spit can open ears and unbound tongues, unbind tongues? That is the gospel, and that is why we are new people, because of his blood, because of his righteousness on the cross, because of what he gives to us. This man got a glimpse, and if you are in Christ, you get this covering from him. Because apart from Christ, we are the dogs. 
We have no place at the table. We, have no, we are deaf. We have no ears to hear His voice. We are unable to speak to God. But this is what the Gospel does. The good news of salvation. When the Father does the work of new life, those He turns to Him, He adopts them. He gives us ears to hear the Son's voice. Sends His Spirit so we can cry out, Abba, Father, with tongues that are free to praise Him. As children. Not second-rate children. Children at the big people table. Get to eat the good stuff with our Father. Amen. And if you are born again, you share these sentiments. I want to close with these words from Acts as we get ready to partake of communion. There is good news for all. The Jew, the Greek, the male, the female, sick, healthy. When Peter gets the, the, the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven and preaches the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time, this is how Peter responds, Acts 10, 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Our gospel has no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the meal of the bread and the wine. Anyone who fears him and does what is acceptable to him, those are the children. This table is not for the arrogant children trusting in their own righteousness. This table is for those of us who know that we are dogs. He is God, we are not. We have no hope before him. But he pulls us up out of the dust and calls us son, calls us daughter, invites us to partake.